Hello and welcome to the Money Marketing Podcast. I'm Tom Selby, Head of News at Money Marketing. I'm joined today by Tom McPhail, Head of Pensions Research at Hargreaves Lansdowne. Thank Hello. you Hello. for joining me, Tom. Um, first issue on the agenda, we've had a little break. Um, the, F- the Treasury's review of the advice system. Um, what's happening here? Why has the Treasury decided to step in and say what the FCA has done isn't good enough? When you read the brief paper that the Treasury's now put out, um, the, the, the departure of Martin Wheatley mm. seems to make a bit more sense. Um, I think this paper from the Treasury, this joint review that they're now conducting with the FCA, is really big news for two reasons. Uh, partly because uh, this appears to be the politicians very deliberately retaking control of the regulatory agenda, saying that we're not happy with the way advice has been working, we get to dictate the pace. Now, we'll do that in conjunction with the FCA, but we over in Westminster, we politicians, we want to set the agenda. Now, that seems to me like a really big deal in a place we haven't been for quite a few years. And the other reason I think it's a really big deal is that they talk in that paper about things like a safe harbour, redefining advice, making advice more accessible. Now, this is stuff a lot of people in the industry have been talking about for a long time. Mm. The fact that the good advice works really well, but it's a fairly narrow market, it's quite expensive, how can we expand that to the rest of the population, how can we make it more accessible, cheaper, simpler, maybe a little bit rougher around the edges, maybe redefine some of the liabilities and responsibilities, and it feels like that's what the, 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 the intention of this review is, 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 is now heading towards. So, uh, a, bit of a bit of a dirty term, are we talking about lighter touch regulation here for financial advice? Certainly a different style of regulation potentially you know we've got to go through the review and we've not heard what the FCA think about this and the new head there but um, it feels as if they're willing to uh, accommodate uh, something that is less than 100% liability for the IFA all the time every time that that, that perhaps a world where um, you can sell information and advice and then what the customer chooses to do with that is their business, and it's not the responsibility of the advisor or, or the financial institution what happens thereafter. And simplified advice. We're going to get it. Potentially, oh, yes. I, I believe it when I see it. Are you confident <laughs> of that? I'm excited by the prospect of this. I think we needed something like this. I think it's a timely intervention. No idea where it will lead, but one to keep an eye on. Very definitely. Yeah. Okay. And... Um, this week we've seen probably one of the less surprising uh, acquisition stories, acquisition, sorry, merger, um, just retirement and partnership to companies whose share prices were hammered um, in the wake of the budget. Um, what does that deal mean, do you think, Tom, for their for savers, both, both, I guess, existing savers and people who are going to go to the market and look to buy, particularly an enhanced annuity? Yeah, absolutely, and uh, we're still still searching for an equilibrium in this post-pension freedom world. We're still sort of making sense mm-hmm. of all the transaction patterns. We're seeing so many of the small pots just going out as cash. So we're definitely into a new world order. Um, interesting looking at the share price of the two companies. Just Retirement appears to have recovered somewhat better mm-hmm. than Partnership since March 2014, but they're both in a place where their market share is... Uh, contracted very well. The, the market has contracted very significantly. They're both big players in the market. The deal made a lot of sense. There's a lot of overlap in their business models. They talk about uh, looking to the DB sector yeah. and, and getting more involved in the de-risking kind of business. That absolutely makes sense. I think there's a big market for them there. Maybe they can create some efficiencies by merging the two businesses. Um, 
and maybe we're going to see them developing more kind of uh, hybrid decumulation solutions in the fullness of time yeah. using their expertise in the annuity end and bringing that into the investment backed end and doing some more retail products there so I think it will take a while but I think we'll see some interesting stuff emerging in, in due course on that one a consumer's going to get a worse deal we're going to we'll see we've already seen Aviva Friends Live merge so that's one less provider uh, just retirement and partnership merge another another less well, provider less competition in the market worse and, rates and one of the worries about all of this is that the rates of people shopping around at the point of retirement is going down yeah you know this is the for all the good stuff the pension freedoms have introduced they have not yet fixed that shopping around problem we've, we've got to get more people out shopping around and as you say if there are fewer providers out there if there's less competition that has to be a cause for concern there are some really good annuity providers out there doing good stuff um, I, I think if we can stimulate more consumer demand for those really good quality underwritten annuity products that that has to be a good place to start how do we how do we stimulate that demand then the $64,000 question and, and for that we're into the kind of work that the cabinet office has been doing the behavioral insights team looking at the communications looking at the way we feed people into the retirement journey all the stuff that we did around the, the pension passport and thinking about how we make shopping around a default for people. I think I think that's all still there to be done and there is good work going on there. You know, LV have been leading some work with the with the government on that. So so you know, hopefully we will still make progress there as well. So not the death of the annuity then I know that's still, been a suggestion in still some places. Not the death of the annuity. <laughs> How many nails in that coffin? But look, you know, we still see uh, a, a, a very significant proportion of retirees wanting some secure income. And every conversation I've had with someone coming up to retirement, their starting point is looking at the secure income they've got, whether it's a state pension or their final salary pension or, or an annuity. I've got to cover the bills. I've got to get a solid foundation. And then I'll look at the investment bank stuff mm -hmm. on top of that. I don't think any of that has changed. And what do, you, what do you think of some of the guaranteed drawdown offerings that are coming to market? I know a lot of people are suggesting that's the solution to this problem. Some people, um, people don't like annuities, a tarnished brand. Um, people don't want the risk of drawdown. So you have something mm -hmm. in the middle. Is it, is it possible to have the best of both worlds, or do you end up just paying more and not quite getting what you want? Everything, we've, we've spent so much time looking at all of this, yeah. and everything we've looked at so far, we've tended to come back to the answer of combine an annuity with a conventional drawdown, rather than going for this hybrid kind of product. Once you've built in sufficient costs, uh, sufficient guarantees and safeguards to really box off all the risks, it's become so expensive, it's almost self-defeating. Um, you still need a great deal of communication um, and com consumer understanding about what, what, what's being done for them. So I feel like we still haven't found that, that silver bullet solution in terms of the, the risk-free drawdown, but you know, we'll keep looking. Yeah, exit fees. Um, earlier this month, the, that particular spectre was raised again by the Treasury, um, threatening to cap fees. Or um, I thought this was a joke at first, but apparently they also think the industry might voluntarily. Um, yeah, no, it's actually in the paper, really, isn't oh, it? Right. You think, you think, <laughs> is, any, is there any of these shareholder-owned uh, providers who rely on that income really going to voluntarily cut it off? It does seem improbable, doesn't it? <laughs> um, and I was—I I had a chuckle to myself when I read that option in the paper. That you know, essentially, it looks to me like there are two options yeah. because an industry-led voluntary agreement to cap off exit fees. I mean. You know, if all the trade bodies can get together and get all their members to sign up to it and actually deliver it, well, good luck to them. I was, well, I was told that they can't, the law doesn't allow them to do it. It'd be anti-competitive. Anti-competitive. So, so it seems 
unlikely. Yeah. So then where are you left? Well, you could just go for a blanket ban, or you could go for something a little more subtle, you know, a more nuanced, um, selective cap on uh, exit penalties in certain circumstances. At this moment in time, my instinct would be, let, look, let's, however you define it, whether it's in terms of cash or percentage, let's just go for the blanket ceiling and say you should not charge more than this much. Mm. I think it's always going to be legitimate to apply proportionate administration charges. Um, there has to be a little bit of flexibility around back-end charging um, to, to, to cover the costs as they're incurred rather than having to front-load every contract all the time. Um, but the, the, the high percentage, the high cash value exit penalties that still exist on mainly on legacy business, mm. I, think, I think now is probably the right moment just to say, as we did with the, uh, the price cap on auto-enrollment, you, know, you don't go above this. And so, some have suggested that if the government's going to look at the old stuff, they should look at the new stuff as well, so exit penalties on platforms, for example. Do you think that's something that should be within the scope of this Absolutely, I think that's legitimate. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, I think the, the, the greater problem lies with the legacy business that most new business today is pretty clean. But within that, yes, you have to look at the administration charges and see whether they are proportionate and fair. And I think there is a difference between saying no exit penalties at all yeah. and saying let's just cap off the disproportionate unfair penalties, the, the barriers to being able to get at your money. Um, and I think, you know, because we're into shades of grey here, it's going to be pretty challenging, but I think that's the territory they have to explore. And what, what sort of timescale do you think we're looking at here? Clearly, if they're going to, if they decide a cap is necessary, there'll be another consultation. Mm. Is there, um, is there a risk that this is just going to be the can getting kicked down the road and nothing ever actually happens on exit fees? Uh, this government and the previous government have shown uh, an enthusiastic appetite to uh, to take the pensions industry by the scruff of the neck and do interesting things with it. So, it feels to me like they will they will continue to drive this forward with a fair degree of energy. Um, I wouldn't want to set a time scale, but I would be very surprised if this is one that does just end up getting kicked into the long grass. In the same way, I was very surprised, in fact, to see the, uh, the second, secondary annuity market getting pushed back a year. Um, I, I had expected to see that coming in 2016. Um, I think where they can, where they, they will continue to drive forward with as much energy and momentum as they can. Okay, Tom McPhail, thank you very much for joining me, and thank you for listening. Thank you.